And as Carolyn said, I think, um, you know, is the drive through open for the campers? So you would like us here earlier to be present, maybe? If people, or what, what was the invitation exactly? I'm putting you on the spot. That's all right. No, um, my volunteers are coming around one to yep. get their cars in position. And the campers are coming anywhere between two and four. Perfect. So anytime you want to come, we'll be here. Yeah. Thanks. Amen. Thank you so much. Church, it's Sunday. Amen, right? Um, I am convinced that there is a God. Are you ready for the why? Not just because I'm Pastor Joe, but because in the house right now, we have a Steelers fan sitting directly next to a Bills fan. <laughs> and the house is not divided, right? Praise God for that. Some of you are faithful Bills fans, right? I, listen, I'm not putting you on the spot. For, yeah, you can, be, you can be faithful Bills fans. Alex is a faithful Steelers fan. It's okay. When I lived in Little Valley, uh, there was a, a, a diner. Well, it was a bar, Hughes Hotel. And I came around the corner one day. They had great chicken wings. And I came around the corner, and out of Hughes Hotel came Jim Kelly and Ben Roethlisberger, walking together. They were riding their snowmobiles uh, on the trails that day. But uh, it's possible to coexist with each other and uh, to even do it well. I want to uh, share a couple of stories with you. But before we do that, I'd like you to pray for me this morning. And uh, as I pray for you also, let's pray together. Holy God, thank you for your presence already made known to us. For your faithfulness. <laughs> oh, you are a way maker. Even when we don't feel you or see you or necessarily uh, experience you, God, you are still present. You have not left us as orphans, but you have come and made your dwelling among us. Now, God, whether through my words or in spite of my words, would you speak to us, your children? And not that we may just hear your voice today, but that, Lord, you might speak in fresh and new ways, that we might be empowered and equipped to go and invite others and tell others of this good news. Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen. So St. Paul writes uh, in the beginning of Romans, he says, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God, right? For salvation of all people, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. But God's desire is that we would have relationship, intimate relationship with God. And this morning... Um, I just want to invite you into that relationship. If you are, uh, if you're experiencing something this morning, maybe you're not sure how to navigate, I'd like to invite you into a deep relationship with Christ. Um, I'm a one-trick pony. I pinch myself because I get paid to share the same message every single week. It's really quite simple, friends. Jesus is Lord, Right? And uh, my hope and my prayer for you as the church body at home or here is that you wouldn't just experience that for yourselves, but that you would be empowered to go. Remember, we looked at apathy and the apathetic state at times of even the church and even myself, but that we would go and share this good news. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10, and this uh, section in scripture is, is power packed. I mean, we need more than eight weeks or ten weeks, whatever it is, to walk through a few chapters in Romans, but we're going to do our very best, and today 
we want to look at one very specific thing in this broken series. We want to look at the reality that, that Christ, in Christ, that shame is broken. That you don't need to receive shame any longer. And uh, we're going to look at a few different things, but before we do, I want to read for you the passage that we're going to be looking at, and then I want to share a couple of stories and kind of give you a road map. You see, it says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 5. We're going to carry that to the 15th verse. It says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? says the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart Moses Deuteronomy chapter 30 that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that you will be saved for it is with your mouth for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. If you write in your Bibles, or if you highlight in your Bibles, that um, verse right there, that statement right there is what we're really going to be drilling into today. That you will never be put to shame if you believe in him. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That word everyone means everyone. The prophet Joel wrote that in chapter 2. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In our culture, we don't always understand what it is, this this shame mentality right? Uh, We don't really function and process in a shame and honor culture, but we're going to look at three things today. One is that this message is a timeless declaration. It's a timeless declaration, okay? The second thing we're going to look at is that it is an accepted opposition, an accepted opposition. I know this is kind of counterintuitive or countercultural or uh, it's paradoxical, right? We must let go to gain, And finally, we're going to look at there is a greater hope. There is a greater hope in Christ Jesus alone. So a couple of years ago, actually it was last uh, year, a year and a half ago, my daughter and I went to Africa, to Uganda specifically, and uh, we went by way of Dubai, so we landed in Dubai and then went to Africa, and and, um, we experienced a few things, or I experienced a few things that I wasn't fully prepared for. And I like to have my stuff together. We went with two very specific purposes. My brother, uh, David, is a nurse practitioner in Dallas, Texas. So for our Texas friends, uh, there's a shout out to Dallas, right? Good things do come from Dallas. And uh, and things are really bigger in Dallas. But uh, my brother Dave was bringing a very specific aspect. He brings some medical knowledge that I do not have. 
And I was bringing a spiritual dynamic, and we were looking specifically at seizures. At seizures. And what takes place in the natural world, and what takes place at times in the spiritual world. And we were up on deck, and I was drawn first for speaking. And it was first thing in the morning, and we walked into the classroom, and it was a, it was a, a, um, a concrete building with, with a metal roof and uh, with a dirt floor. And we walked in, and we, uh, the tables were set up. They weren't socially distant because this was pre-COVID. So we were all sitting close together, and Dave and I were sitting in the front of the, the room, and Dave and I were talking a little bit, and the teachers entered the room, and the teachers spoke Lugandan primarily, which is a, a dialect in Uganda, and, and they, they talked amongst themselves, but it was clearly us and them, right? It was clearly us and them. And as Dave and I were talking, I was admiring some of the things on the walls, and it's things that you would expect to see in a classroom. There was posters, and, and the teachers had handwritten on the posters, and they had made these things for the children to learn. And they had the alphabet on one said poster. I'm like, oh, this must be an early elementary setting. And they had, the teacher had handwritten all of the letters in English. And, and the alphabet, you know, it's A, B, C, right, D, E, F, G, all the way through, right, to Z. Well, she did a capital A and lowercase a in print. And it got to the Y, and there was two lowercase Ys. And I remember looking at my brother saying, did I miss something? Is that like maybe how old English does the Y? I don't know. And my brother's like, I don't know. You should probably ask her. Ask the teacher. Ask him. He set me up. We're, we're, an, we're an hour into our stay, right? No sleep. Terrible trip there. That's a story for another day. And, and he says, you should ask him. So Joe, being the big mouth, asked. And all of the teachers in the room said, oh, you should probably ask the teacher when she gets here. We're our, our first initiation with the teachers, right? Just getting to Uganda. I'm still having jet lag and experiencing a whole bunch of stuff. And this beautiful young woman walks in. She must have been 19 years old, just full of life, smile from ear to ear. And I said to her, I said, hey. And all of the other teachers said, oh, here she comes. She came into the room. I said, hey, I was noticing you did such great work on this classroom. I said, why is the why? And I didn't finish the statement. She ripped it off the wall, shredded the paper, looked at me and said, there, now it's not wrong anymore. And stormed off. And immediately, immediately, I felt about that big. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't mean there was no taking back what I had asked. You see, what had inadvertently been done was I had shamed her. Not only in front of her colleagues, but in front of the guests. And in a culture where shame dominates situations and conversations, it's very, very oppressive. I'm wondering uh, when in your life, and I'm going to use two different words today. I'm going to talk about being ashamed and being shamed. And those are two very different things, at least from my perspective. I mean, we could talk about it afterwards. I'd love to hear your perspective on it. But when have been some times in your life when you felt ashamed? When you felt ashamed? You see, what Paul begins to unpack here is that this message from God is a timeless declaration. 
that God really is present in our lives all the time. That the word is near us. That the word is in us. Usually when I'm feeling ashamed, it's because I've done something I probably shouldn't have done, right? I cross the boundary line, I play outside the box. Yesterday, we, uh, we got to experience what many of you have in, experienced in life and, you know, the nice heat of the day. We got to do uh, seven wagons of hay. Any farmers out there or anybody ever do hay? If you've never done hay in your life, you should probably do that. It is, uh, it's good for a whole lot of things. Lets you experience life in all new ways. And uh, my job was I was in the top of the hay mow, right? They put the biggest guy up in the hay mow and said, here, fit into this small space. And when we shove these hay bales off the elevator, you get to throw them to somebody else. And for five hours yesterday, we did hay bales, right? And uh, not big ones, praise the Lord, they, they were smaller ones. But I realized a couple of things. One is that, that I'm not as young as I once was, okay? I'm not as young as I once was, but I'm as young once as I ever, no. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the reality was I felt a little bit ashamed at times because I wasn't keeping up with some of these younger guys. And that, I had to puff myself up and walk around a little taller and a little straighter, and this morning I couldn't get out of bed. But you see, there's a dynamic of of feeling ashamed, right? And it's usually when we're measuring ourselves against somebody else or when we've done something maybe we shouldn't be doing. And this timeless message from God, this timeless message from God, in this brief passage, 10 verses, six different times, Paul quotes the Old Testament. Sometimes we, uh, we fall trapped to believe what is known as the Marcionite heresy, Anybody familiar with church? Okay, this is the nerd in me. The Marcionite heresy in a paraphrased version basically says that the Old Testament doesn't count. That's not true. Heresy means it's not a truth of the church. But there was a man in the, in the second century who started to teach that, that, that Jesus and forward is what matters and the God of the Old Testament wasn't the same God. But that's not true. And Paul very quickly starts to relate to these people that, hey, hey, wait a minute. This has been God's position all along. You see, we skipped verse 1. And I invited you on Wednesday to look at chapter 10. And next week we're going to be in chapter 11, so I'd invite you to read ahead. We skipped verse 1, which is very important. It says this. It says, brothers... My heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Remember last week we looked at the the agony that Paul was facing at the reality that his loved ones, his family, if they died, would spend a life apart from the God that they knew so well. Paul's heart in these three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, is really he's calling out the nation of Israel. Okay, that's what's taking place. You should read them together, actually. But on Sunday, can you imagine how long we'd be here if I preached through all three chapters? My goodness, it'd be like going to church in Cuba. But the reality is these, Paul does something very specific. He doesn't shame them. And he 
aches and he hurts for them. This is a timeless declaration. The second thing we want to invite you to is that we're going to receive opposition, right? And accepted opposition. And I would invite you, if you are in Christ, to receive opposition. Well, what does that look like in our culture today, right? If you were to make the statement, Jesus is Lord, what kind of opposition would you receive? So maybe some of the things that you might experience, because this faith is not private. Remember, I've, I've said that a few times. Take that, that's a quote you can take with you, right? It's personal, it's never meant to be private, but what we've done in the West is we've privatized the faith. And when we weren't privatizing it, we made it weird, right? And remember last week I invited you, please don't be weird. Don't be the, be real. Be real Christians where your lives are a reflection of the God who is within you, right? So as we navigate life, there's going to be opposition, Right? At times you may have to stand up for things or do things a little bit differently than maybe your, your initial thoughts. That means when culture says you can you know, skim a little bit off the top from Uncle Sam, you don't do that. We teach, um, we teach hunter safety. I'm kind of sad that that's all online this year. Because my favorite part of teaching uh, young archers how to engage actively in this, um, this life with creation is about integrity. And integrity is, is this, very simply, integrity is doing what is right when nobody else is looking. Right? Doing what is right all the time. Even if you could completely get away with it and be justified. Some of the opposition you might receive is when you choose to stand for what the scripture says to be true. Right? Well, what about the real pressure? What about the real pressure when it could cost you your job. I love my mother. Everybody says that, I think, right? But I really do have a great mom. She always makes me feel good. I was just talking about, I'm, I'm the golden child. Not really, that's my brother David, but she loves me, and when I'm in her presence, I'm her favorite, as long as nobody else is there. But my mom said this to me, right? She said this to me. We were talking about, uh, she bought a trailer, a travel trailer. And mom, if you're watching, I love you. Uh, so she bought a travel trailer, and when she bought it, the invitation was really simple. It was, well, I could make the sales receipt out for less so you don't have to pay as much in taxes. And my mom said that, my mom's 80, I shouldn't have probably said that. Um, my mom is a mature woman. <laughs> and when, she, uh, when she, she looked at the gentleman who was selling us a trailer, and she says, Sir, I am not willing to sell my soul to the devil for a few hundred dollars. I'm like, Mom, my mom's very quiet, very, she's just smiling all the time. I'm like, wow. She was not willing to receive whatever it is that he was putting down. He didn't even try to argue. <laughs> so what is it that, Paul is talking about because he says this he says when we profess that Jesus is Lord and we believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved we take that out of context oftentimes and we make it part of our Romans road to Christianity which I'm not a huge fan of that personally but that's a story in context for another day Jesus is Lord in the first century meant that you were acknowledging that Caesar was not Lord you know what the punishment was, the penalty for acknowledging publicly that Caesar is not Lord is? Do you know what it was? I'll, I'll give you a clue. 
you cease to exist. The punishment was death beyond doubt. Look at church history. We think we live in difficult times, and we do. Praise God, nobody is impaling Christians and lighting them on fire for their garden like Nero did. Okay? But for the Christian to be able to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord meant that it would cost them potentially everything. In fact, in fact, these early Christians knew people who had died for the faith. It was not to be taken lightly because lordship, lordship is different than just your friend. And oftentimes what's happened is we've, we've positioned God not as Lord, but as friend and companion, right? We like the, the lion picture, not the, sorry, we like the lamb picture, not the lion. And when the analogy goes, this is why a manuscript is better sometimes. But when Jesus is Lord, it means he's positioned first and foremost. First and foremost in everything. It means that God directs every step that we take. The crucifixion was terrible, right? I'm glad we do not practice that any longer. The crucifixion was terrible. What was the primary purpose of the crucifixion, though? It was shame. It was shame. It was to publicly control Right? If you do this, we will do this to you. And in a culture where shame drives a lot of things, it's always about control. It's always about control. Remember, we oftentimes depict Jesus, and if this is your first time hearing this, uh, stay with me. We often depict Jesus on the cross as donned in his loincloth, Right? They crucified him naked. They crucified people naked. Not just Jesus, but people naked. And um, a shameful experience to stand naked in front of everybody and then to be crucified. And priapism is real. Ask some doctor friends of yours about it, not your preacher. It's real. What happens? It's humiliating. And our... Lord endured even the cross, scorning its shame. You see, friends, when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, the culture no longer has a stronghold over us. When you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and you believe that in your heart, I think it was, um, I've lost his name, a philosopher in the 18th and 19th century um, said that belief is more than just acknowledging it, right? It has to change your life. It has to change your life. When we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and our lives are changed, no longer are we shamed by the culture because we are positioned not above culture, but it's Jesus alone who we answer to. It's Jesus alone. And there is so much freedom and there's so much power in the cross. And yet we sometimes don't want to go there. Right? We sometimes hold back. 
You see, as the scripture says in verse 11, it says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This does not mean that we will not at times feel ashamed. Because when we engage in life that is outside the boundaries of what God has said is good and holy and pleasing, or when we engage in life outside of the law, right? Our Jewish brothers and sisters, they were very devout people. They were zealous, right? They were, they were, they were very faithful to what the word of God says. Very, very faithful. You know what happens a lot of times is that we move into Christendom or we move into Christianity and then all of a sudden we throw the law out and we say that we can live however we want. But really it's about coming together. And when we live for Christ and when God directs our steps, we are no longer ashamed. I can't tell you how many times I've had to eat crow, right? It doesn't get any better with hot sauce. But it is almost always a direct, a direct response for me engaging in something outside the boundaries. This young woman sat in the front row, <laughs> about where you're sitting, Woody. And I was up first to speak five minutes after I had publicly shamed her. And she sat there with her arms crossed, scowling at me for the next two hours, right? My brother David got up and he, and he talked about the, the physical aspect of what is taking place in a seizure, how there's, regardless of whether it's um, demonic or in the natural world, when a seizure takes place, there's a misfiring in the brain every single time. Sometimes it's, it's in the natural world. Sometimes it's in the demonic world. Scripture tells us that. And as soon as he said that, a light bulb went off and he invited the teachers because what would happen, in, and we wouldn't necessarily do this in our culture, but, um, and, I, and I'm drifting a little bit into a part of another sermon maybe, but stay with me. Sometimes what happens is when we think someone is not safe, we don't want to go near them. And in a culture where it's shame and honor, what happens is someone who maybe is struggling with seizures, not because they're filled with a demon, but because they have a medical issue going on, Everybody scatters because they believe falsely that if they touch them, somehow this demon that is in them is going to come into them. My job was to try to break that down through Scripture. Dave's job was to say that your touch actually in that moment might be the very thing that saves them. And how we can love through the barriers. Shame is always oppressive. It's a power trip. It's where we try to control with our words and our minds at times. At times I've been guilty as a father of shaming my girls, right? Well, if you really loved me, that's not a, that's not a loving statement. That's a shaming statement, right? That's conditional response. Or if you only knew how you made me feel when you do this, right? And we seek to control. But what Jesus says is that when Jesus becomes Lord, when Jesus becomes Lord, there is no more shame. We don't have to receive it, and we darn well better not be giving it. We better not be giving it. 
Paul did a couple of things in these three chapters really well. And I'll leave you with this thought. He identified some very difficult things. And you know, when he did it, he didn't belittle or put down. He didn't degrade. He simply stated the facts of God and he allowed God to love them through him. You may still struggle at times with feeling ashamed because you've hurt the one whom you love. But when Jesus is Lord, when Jesus is Lord, church, you are no longer shamed. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your grace and your presence this morning. God, thank you for severing the yoke and inviting us into a new relationship. God, may we be a faith-filled people who are faithful. May we see the other through your eyes, O God. And may we enter into a holy and right relationship with you and with others. God, your message is timeless. The opposition at times is real. But what a hope we have in you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Church, I invite you to receive this benediction this morning. May the Lord God Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, be before you to lead you, beside you, justify you, behind you to defend you, and above you to guide you. But my Jesus, the risen Christ, the great author and perfecter of our faith, he who is Lord, be within you, both now and forever, so that you may go and love the hell out of your neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.